Uh, we get a magazine every uh, month in the mail. Uh, then someone from our church ordered this for us because they know I'm from Iowa. And so this magazine is called Our, Our Iowa Magazine. And, uh, and, some, and Chelsea especially loves these, this magazine. She, always, she reads it from cover to cover. On the back cover of this one, there was a story she read to me, and I, I got a kick out of this. Uh, it says, um, back in the 1970s, my friend Gene and I joined Weight Watchers. We thought it was a good way to learn about healthy living. We had our weekly meetings where we would track our weight, listen to pep talks from our leader, and confess to everyone in attendance if we had been, quote-unquote, naughty. You know, like snitching too many snacks during the week when we shouldn't have. One evening, a lady stood up to share her eating confession. <laughs> this, this is hilarious. Uh, she and her husband had gone to a family reunion the previous weekend, it was a potluck, of course, so she, baked, so she had baked and frosted a cake to share. The cake went over well, but there was half of it left uh, for her to take back home. The next day, while her, while her husband was at work, she couldn't help but seeing the leftover cake on the kitchen counter. Temptation finally got the best of her. She admitted to the group that she, uh, that she ate the other half of the cake. She then shared that as soon as she had finished eating it, she was horrified by what she had done. She dreaded what her husband was going to say when he got home. And in her mind, there was only one thing to do. She baked and frosted another cake. And then she ate half of it. So her husband wouldn't be the wiser when he got home. <laughs> I got a kick out of that. Uh, part of me like, just throw the other half away. But no, she ate the other half. And uh, too often than not, I found myself no, uh, in the exact same situation, eating something like, why did I do that? Uh, and that leads us into the sermon for today, which is on temptation. And... Uh, if we are to live a Christian life, we know that a temptation is right there front and center of our daily walk with the Lord. Our ability to resist temptation, our inability to, not, to resist it, and uh, how that affects our walk with the Lord. The great Christian writer C.S. Lewis said, No man knows how bad he is until uh, he has tried to be good. And only those who have tried to resist temptation know how strong it is. You know, as I was preparing this sermon on temptation, because it fits within our series on imperfect disciples, uh, if we are to be disciples of Christ, we know that we are gonna, we're imperfect. We know that we're going to fall. Uh, but I wanted to offer something, not just to say, oh, what we already know. Yeah, temptation's bad. Don't get, uh, give in to it. Because we already know that. I, I think the, what the Lord has for us today is to unpack this serious issue, to, to offer some practical things to say that uh, will help us as we seek to live the godly life that he wants us to live. 
Because I think deep down inside, all of us know we don't want to give in to temptation, not just because uh, we know that the Lord is not pleased with it, but because we know that it always leads to something that is less than God's best for us. God has given us his commandments in Scripture, not because he's trying to deprive us of something good, but because he wants us to have the, uh, a good life. He wants us to have what is best and what comes into our lives so often. And it is a constant battle, I admit. is temptation that, that causes us to, to move away from God's best for us. So this is, this is a serious sermon, but hopefully it is a practical and helpful one. And in light of that, let's just go before the Lord and ask him to be our teacher and guide today. Father God, as we open up your word now, we come before you and we ask that you would give us help. We recognize that what is before us in these uh, scriptures that we're going to look at today and the things that we're going to talk about, they're not easy. And just as we've sung about our, uh, already this morning, that we are completely dependent upon your mercy we recognize that we can't do this on our own. And so, God, we ask that you would come and speak to us and minister to us now. We submit this next half hour or so to you and ask and pray that you would help us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I can say with all sincerity, and this is not just standing up here saying what I know I'm supposed to say, but I can say with all sincerity that I want to live for Christ. Like, that's my desire. And as I look across this room, I know all, uh, so many of you. I don't know everyone here and ins and out, but I know so many of you deep down inside. In fact, I trust everyone here. That's your desire. You want to live a godly life. And as I say that, it is more often than I care to admit that I fall to temptation. And so oftentimes, as we talked about in that silly little story about the, the cake, we look back on it and we're horrified by what we have done. And oftentimes, after I've given in and I've fallen, I, I look at it and I think, why? Why did I do that? Why did I give in to that, that stupid temptation? Because it is not ultimately how I want to live or what I want to do in my life. And maybe you can relate. You've said, I'm not going to react and anger towards my friend who gets under my skin next time, and yet we do. Or we say, I'm not going to give in to that lust and look at those things that I want to look at, and more often than we care to admit, we do. Or we say, I, uh, I don't want to uh, act with pride. I want to live a humble life, and what do we do? We act pridefully. And it's frustrating. It's disappointing. It's hard. But it's a common experience. In fact, Paul expresses with brutal honesty his same experience along these lines. In, in Romans 7, he says, I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not uh, want to do, this I keep on doing. This is the Apostle Paul saying he oftentimes falls into temptation in ways that he, he doesn't want to do. He wants to do good, but he finds himself doing evil so often. He continues on. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law at work within me. What a wretched man I am. 
And that's what Paul says. Now he goes on and he describes hope. And, uh, and he talks about God's grace. And we're going to get to that there this morning. But we, rest in, we first of all just ground ourselves in the fact that even when we have the best of intentions, we find ourselves so often times falling short when we fall into temptation. And this is uh, repeated over and over again, not only in our lives, but in Scripture. And the example we're going to look at this morning in detail is from Jesus and his disciples on his last night when, before he goes to the cross. We find Jesus with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, Jesus is urging them to pray that they would not fall into temptation. Now, as uh, we know, just from our background, the disciples will fall spectacularly, but Jesus would be spectacularly successful. And so what we're going to see here is not only the example of how to be successful in resisting temptation, namely through Jesus, and, how, and, and uh, we see an example of someone failing in, in Peter, James, and John. But we also read in this, if we're, if we're mindful as we look at this, this passage together, Jesus not only paints a picture that is common to all of us, but he gives us the instructions. See, that's what I said. I, I'm hoping that we get to some practical things here, and that's what we're going to see in Jesus's, uh, in this passage about Jesus and his disciples. The passage is in Matthew 26, and uh, so I encourage you to open up to Matthew 26, uh, pull out your Bible or your device or whatever, um, and uh, we're going to read 26, 36 through 41. The words will be on the screen, but um, if you have the text open, uh, keep it open today, and we're going to be focusing on especially the last verse, verse 41. Matthew 26, 36 says, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. The two sons of Zebedee are James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to, to them, My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You see, it's not only uh, uh, the three disciples who will be tempted on this particular night. Jesus is overwhelmed in his soul. In fact, as we go along here, we're going to see he's facing the temptation to turn back as well. Going on a little farther, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he, then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you, keep, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. And here's the key verse. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak is exactly what we're talking about here this morning. That we have the desire, the intention, the will is there. We want to do what is right, but, the, but because the flesh is weak, we oftentimes find ourselves falling away. 
The word used uh, here for spirit is the Greek word sarx, and it, ref- uh, it, it actually, that's the word for flesh, I'm sorry. The, the, Greek, the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, uh, which refers to our heart or our emotions or our willpower. Willpower is included here. And uh, philosopher da- Dallas Willard describes a person's spirit this way, the capacity for volition and the acts of willing in which it is exercised form the spirit in a man. The reason I bring that out, I, I read that quote, is because I just want us to notice that the spirit includes the willpower. Willpower is not enough to resist temptation. We can have all the best intentions in the world, and we can say, I'm going to dig my heels in, I'm never going to do it again. Willpower is not enough. In fact, uh, those that are without Christ are left with nothing uh, of real value to, to, uh, to stand against the temptations that come into their life because all they have to fall upon is willpower. Now, we're going uh, to keep going uh, along these lines, but uh, we, we want to notice that the, the disciples' willpower is strong. It says that their spirit is strong. All of them have pledged to Jesus, just preceding the verses that we read, all of them have pledged to Jesus that they will not fall away. Peter said it most strongly, even if all, all fall away on account of you, I never will. And Peter had Peter said that with a clear conscience. And yet we know that before the rooster would crow in the morning, he's, he's denied that he even knew Jesus three times. The willpower is there, but Jesus says the flesh is weak. Now, flesh is used uh, two ways in the Bible. One, it can refer to the physical body, our f- flesh and blood, right? But the other way that it's used in the Bible is in relationship to our sinful nature. And both of uh, which could be implied here in these words of Jesus. The disciples' flesh is weak. They're tired. They keep falling asleep off off to the side. But their sinful nature is what uh, breaks down in which they give in to temptation. And we recognize that in our own lives as, as well. All of us, part of what it means to be human is that we have a sinful nature. And that is why this, this, uh, this struggle against sin and temptation is so strong. Jesus says it, says it so succinctly. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now with the disciples, as we talk about them having the best of intentions, we recognize that along with the sinful nature... Uh, comes the natural tendency that they are overconfident and then self-deceived. In other words, they don't really see their own strength. They think they're strong, but as we'll see, they're not. They're overconfident and self-deceived. Overconfidence and self-deception is a key for us as we talk about this idea of resisting temptation because it is so naturally... uh, uh, ingrained in us. Overconfidence with uh, self-deception leads us so that we don't think of ourselves rightly, and that makes us weak and vulnerable in te- temptation. Just to illustrate how universal this is, I came across a survey that was done with college professors and students. 
And I, and I read this just because it kind of brings a smile to my face. Uh, of the college professors surveyed, 94% of them thought they were doing a better than average job as a teacher. So that means if 50% is average, 44% of them are overconfident and self-deceived. But what about the students? Would they have more self-awareness? Well, one million high school students were surveyed, and 70% of them thought that they were above average in leadership ability, and only 2% of them thought they were below average. So again, overconfident and, and self-deceived. And here's the one that cracks me up. And in terms of their ability to get along with others, if you'd think of anything they could be self-aware of, it would just be their ability to get along with others. 100% of the students thought that they were above average. 60% thought they were in the top 10. And 25% thought they were in the top 1% of, a bit of, those, uh, of their ability to get along with others. We naturally are bent to be overconfident and self-deceived. And that becomes a real uh, issue when it comes to uh, this idea in, of resisting temptation. It comes an issue in our spiritual walks. Very, very seldomly, when I'm trying to witness to someone, is not the, the first task to try to help them to understand that they need Jesus. Almost everyone thinks that I'm a good enough person. Surely I'm better than my neighbors or my friends. Surely I, uh, God would accept me into heaven just like that. And those of us that come to realize that we're not good enough, we need the death and resurrection of Jesus. Even uh, those of us who know we are saved by grace, we d I don't know if we fully understand how much we need God in our lives. If we did, this morning would be standing room only. And if we did, Julie would not have to stand up here and announce life groups like they would be packed full. If we did, all of us would be waking up early tomorrow morning down on our knees just like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, God, help me to stand strong. But yet we don't feel that. Why? Because we're overconfident. And we deceive ourselves thinking we got it all together. The reality is, if we could understand ourselves rightly, we desperately need God. And we desperately need one another, our brothers and sisters in the faith. I know this in my mind. I hope I know it in my heart. I need you, and you need me, and we need one another because that's the way that God has created us to be. That's, those are the tools that God has given us to stand and resist temptation. So, in light of all of that, this is the bad news so far, everything we've covered today. Jesus sees our weakness but he does not leave us hopeless. Amen? Jesus never leaves us hopeless. Like until we understand that God is such a good God, such a, a God full of grace, we will always find hope in his teaching. Jesus not only says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, but just before that, in the exact same verse, he tells them what they need to do 
if they are to stand strong, if they are to be able to resist temptation. This is what he said. I, I asked that it be put up on the screen again. This is the key application for us today. Let's read this together. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Those three words uh, encompass what we need to stand against uh, to, to stand and be strong when temptation comes our way. Now, prayer we know a lot about. Prayer is quite simply talking to God, especially ask, in, in light of our discussion today, especially asking God uh, for help. Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, right? Or deliver me from the evil one. It's a prayer that God wants us to pray all the time. It's a prayer that he loves to answer. We know that one of the keys for us to stand strong against temptation is prayer. But the other one is the one I want to uh, focus on this morning. And that is the idea of watch. What does it mean to watch in regards to our ability to resist temptation? Well, the idea of watch, practically speaking, we get an illustration in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, all the cities were fortified with a wall around the city, right? And there was a city uh, gate, that was the entrance. But up on top of the wall, especially around the gate, but then also around the whole perimeter of the city, there would be watchmen. Watchmen uh, were very good at recognizing if there was someone suspicious approaching the city. They would know who the enemies of the state were. They could recognize them and sound the alarm. But even if somebody just looked and it, it, looks, it looked funny, they would sound the alarm. And then the people would know what to do, either to gather weapons and prepare to fight or to go out and just confront and Ask the persons their, their intentions. The watchmen were very good at knowing what to do when uh, trouble was coming their way. As followers of Christ, we must be watchmen and watchwomen in our spiritual lives so that we recognize when trouble is coming our way. That's part of what it means to watch and pray. And so I want to give us four warning signs, or actually seven warning signs, of things that we need to watch out for so that when we know that we might be vulnerable for temptation. These are not necessarily the, the temptation itself or even the sin itself. These are just things that we need to watch out for because we know that if we uh, see these things in our lives, we're a little bit more vulnerable to give in to temptation. The first is tiredness. And that's what we see in the disciples, right? They're tired. But I've noticed this in my life, and, and you've probably noticed it in your life as well, either physically tired or emotionally tired. It just makes us a little bit more vulnerable to temptation. You don't quite got the patience. You maybe say something uh, that you regret or you do something that you wish you wouldn't have done. Uh, you fall into one temptation or another. And uh, being tired is not necessarily a sin because we all go through really emotionally trying times and we go through really busy seasons of, of life where we're just not able to get the rest that we want. All I'm saying is tiredness is a warning sign that if we sense that, then it is time to take a, uh, some time to get alone and pray. That's the other part of it, right? To pray, to ask God to strengthen us, 
to fill us up with, with his energy. The idea of sabbatical is all over the Bible because we need times of rest. And you need times of rest, and you need times of margin in your life. It's very important that you, that you uh, make sure that your life doesn't get so busy that you never have time just to sit and process all that's going on in your life. Margin is key. At least that's the way I feel for my own life. I need times where I have space to sit and to think and to process and pray and uh, receive God's strength. The second warning sign is isolation. Now, I bring this to mind because we've, been, we've got, gone through a time of forced isolation, and we saw how damaging that can be to our lives spiritually. Sometimes it's forced. Sometimes we isolate ourselves on our own volition. But I just say that that's a warning sign because uh, we can become more vulnerable when we pull away from having especially Christian community around us. Christian community around us strengthens us to be able to, to resist uh, temptation. And again, I'm not saying uh, that is necessarily all our fault. There are times where we have to isolate for one reason or another. But it's a warning sign that we're, just to be mindful that we're vulnerable. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not neglect meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I think isolation makes us vulnerable to all kinds of sins, like anxiety, pride, lust, and and so many others. And so it's a warning sign. Another warning sign, the third one, is spiritual apathy. Spiritual apathy literally means that we don't have the hunger or passion for the Lord. And when we notice this in our hearts, it's time to to take notice, to, to watch out. If we notice that the hunger for God has, has, uh, has, is not there, then we need to, again, watch and pray. Pray. God, fill me up. Give me a passion for you. God does not like apathy. He talks about it as lukewarmness to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3. But Peter, James, and John did not, not stay awake in the Garden of Gethsemane because they couldn't. They didn't know how. They were fishermen. They were used to keeping themselves awake all night. They fell asleep because of spiritual apathy. It's a warning sign that we must be aware of. The fourth is fear and anxiety. When we uh, uh, find ourselves living in regular times of, with, a, with there's, there's, there's a sense of fear and anxiety in our hearts, we're vulnerable. And I see this in uh, so many people's lives today, especially because of media that plays on our fears and, on our, and on, our exi- our, on our anxieties. And so my, my challenge to us is just watch out. Watch, watch out what you watch because it can make us vulnerable to temptation. Fear and anxiety make us vulnerable to saying things that we shouldn't say, treating even whole groups of people in ways that we shouldn't, doing all kinds of things that are not pleasing to the Lord. The... the Disciples fell away that night in part because of fear and anxiety of what the soldiers might do to them or or think of them. The fifth is, and here's a big one, a critical spirit. A critical spirit 
uh, when we are thinking negatively about others or thinking negatively about something, some, something or, or a group of people makes us very vulnerable to certain temptations. And I, and I see this in the church as a pastor. There are people that develop a critical spirit where, they're, where they constantly are finding the wrong, the fault, the bad in whatever is going on, and it opens them up for temptation. The same can come in and stir up division or stir up hard feelings. Or, and uh, it's, we, need, we really need to watch out. If you have a critical spirit in your own life, just, you just watch and pray. Ask God to change you, help you to see the, the good in others. Because we're going to be open to temptations of pride and belittling others and talking bad about others behind their back, being harsh and condescending so much. Okay, uh, two more. Ingratitude. The ungrateful person forgets what God has done for him or her, and he or she doesn't recognize what others have done for them, and it opens them up to what we've already talked about, overconfidence and self-deception. Ingratitude is a dangerous thing. Jesus, God tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, be, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if you notice yourself just being very ungrateful, that's a warning sign. And then lastly, keeping bad company. Remember Judas, uh, who betrayed Jesus with a kiss? Surely he fell into temptation because of the company that was around him, the religious leaders that tempted him to fall away. Bad company can lead us to be vulnerable to temptation, right? And I'm not saying you shouldn't have Christian friends. or I, Well, you definitely should have Christian friends. I'm not saying you shouldn't have non-Christian friends, is what I meant to say. Jesus did for sure, right? And, uh, and yet all I'm saying is, Bad company can make us vulnerable to temptation. It can uh, cause us to, uh, it can cause temptations to come into our lives. 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. The two verbs that are used here, pray and watch and pray, are present imperatives in the original Greek language, which means for our purposes, that they are to be done continuously. We are always to watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. And uh, as we notice things like tiredness or, or isolation or spiritual apathy or fear and anxiety, a critical spirit, uh, ungratefulness, keeping bad company, as we notice those things, then it is time to pray then it is time to get alone with the Lord and pray. It is time to pray in our spirit. If we're not able to get alone right in that moment, God, help me not to say something I'm going to regret. Help me not to do something I don't want to do. And then when we have time to get alone and open up the scriptures, sometimes what I'll do is I'll open up a, a Google page on my phone or on my computer, and I'll type in Bible verses on whatever the temptation is. And I'll just sit there with uh, those verses. If it's a critical spirit, I'll, I've opened it up and I read verses and it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And I just sit with that for a while, meditating on that until God begins to strengthen me to be able to resist, to resist temptation. We get out a worship song. Whatever it is that we can enter into prayer, 
uh, and we keep praying until God strengthens us to resist temptation. One more application, and then we'll transition to communion. But this is an application that we're going to really emphasize over the next couple weeks. And I say this not to twist anyone's arm, but because I really believe this would be great for all of us. We're going to emphasize life groups. Life groups are a way to watch and pray because it is an opportunity for us to get together and to pray for one another. And in in our life groups this year, we have an element in which we're going to apply the sermons to our lives, and then we're going to break up into pairs of one or two and ask each other some accountability questions. And uh, accountability questions can be very intimidating. But the, the ones we've written, they're not to get under your skin to say anything you don't want to say, but I would encourage us to be vulnerable because it is in that vulnerability with one another that we are able to watch our lives and to pray about it and begin to have victory over the temptations that we want to have. Uh, that we want to have victory over. And so that's an application. Starting in the end of this month, on June 28th, starts our new sermon series, Find Your Footing. It's going to be really practical and helpful, and the life groups are going to follow this every week, every week that we're going to meet uh, until Thanksgiving, and then we'll take a little Christmas break. But I really want to encourage you because I believe that as a church, This is one of our best ways for us to together support ourselves, to watch and pray. So let's turn our attention now to to communion. And um, as we do, this is, again, an opportunity for us to watch and pray. It's an opportunity for us to take a few minutes to examine our lives and to notice warning signs to come before the Lord in the quietness of our sanctuary as Rob plays a hymn in a moment. It's an opportunity to come and to take inventory of tiredness, of of spiritual apathy, of of fear and anxiety, of of a critical spirit, of, of being ungrateful. It's an opportunity for us to examine our hearts and then to practice gratitude to thank God for what this represents. Jesus' body broken for us and his blood shed for us because we have fallen. And that's not the end of the story. In fact, uh, when we think about what Jesus has said in this passage, that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our flesh is weak, but Jesus had his flesh broken and his body died for us. See, his spirit was willing, and he went to the cross in obedience, and his, body, uh, and his body was crucified. And then after three days, his body rose from the dead. So that means we have victory over sin if we trust in Jesus. The ushers are coming around right now. If you need communion elements, just raise your hand, and, and they'll help you out. But I just remind us of what we are doing together that we celebrate communion uh, every month, the first Sunday of every month, because we need to be reminded that we're broken and that we are weak and vulnerable. And Jesus died for our sins and Jesus continues. He wants us to do this continually because he wants us to continue to remember to rely on him and to trust in him.
So let's take a moment. I'll pray for us, and then I'll uh, give us some silent time to reflect and pray. Father God, as we enter into this time of communion together, we ask and pray that you would uh, just invade this space, come by your Spirit and minister to us. We thank you that you love us so much and that these elements that we hold in our hands, though it's just a wafer and grape juice, they represent something, they represent the things that are most significant to us. They represent our salvation and having you in our lives, the forgiveness of our sins and the new life that we have through Christ. And so, God, I pray that as we have these few minutes that you would show us things in our hearts that we need to work on, areas that we're, areas in our lives where we may be vulnerable. And, God, and then I pray that you would strengthen us as we partake of the elements And God, I pray that you would fill our hearts with gratitude and praise because of what you have already done for us. And so, God, we enter this time now with reflective hearts, asking and committing this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to take the wafer out first of all and hold it in your fingers as I read the scripture and then we'll take it together. God's word says, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. the juice. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. God's word goes on to say, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'll invite the worship team and the prayer counselors to come forward now. And, uh, 
And as we sing this last song together, uh, I encourage you that if you would love to come and receive prayer, these prayer counselors would love to pray with you. It's a great opportunity for us, as we know we need the Lord's help, it's a great opportunity for us to have a sister who loves us and wants to pray for us and wants to invite God's presence and strength into our lives to uh, receive prayer. Let's stand as we sing this last song together. And before we sing it, let me take a minute to pray for us one more time. Father God, we thank you for today. And we thank you most, uh, most of all for your son Jesus' death on the cross. We thank you for the body that was broken and the blood that was shed so that we can have new life with you. And I pray that as we sing this final song together now, that you would just, one final moment, that you would help us just filled with whatever we need for this week. And if anyone here needs prayer, I pray they would come and that they would be filled with strength that you can provide. This in Jesus' name, amen.